He says in Romans chapter 8, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Not that all things are good, because there are a lot of things that aren't good, but they work together for good. Not for everybody, but for those who are called according to his purpose. There was, a, of course, there was a, a uh, I guess, an okay to go ahead and open for a while there. And then after that okay, they closed us back down. Church, when I say us, I mean churches, because not everybody got closed down. I mean, I think some of the casinos are still open and some of the uh, uh, other places, of course, you know, those things that we consider not to be essential, but we, we do consider church to be essential. And... The, the, the thing about North Park, uh, as some of you probably know, we had opted to stay open. And um, I started off in Second Corinth, uh, excuse me, Second Chronicles 7.14, where it says that, um, that we are going to see God's face in his place. And that was our commitment from the very beginning. And I thank God that he gave us that ability to do that. Now, we have the luxury to do so. Our church is not that big. I know some of these other churches, you know, they needed to because of all kinds of things. And one of the churches that did that was a church called uh, Grace Community, uh, Pastor John MacArthur. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but this last week he put out a memorandum and uh, he says, you know, this is what I stand for, for corporate worship. And it's, in, it's pretty involved and it's really long and I'm just going to give you some tidbits on it. But pretty much what he was saying is, you know, we have to submit to the governing authorities. And that's just what we do. Romans 13, uh, you know, Second Peter. 1 Peter 2, 18. And so we have, to, we have to submit to the governing authorities because it's God who places them in authority. And so what most churches did is they submitted to that authority and they said, okay, it's for the time being, it's for the well-being, it's for everybody. And what ended up happening was that it started to get extended and now it's extended you know, indefinitely. And so him and his elders, uh, they got together and they said, look, we are not going to stand uh, for this intrusion into the corporate worship of a church. They cannot tell us when and how to worship. Uh, a lot of choirs aren't allowed to gather and, and sing because of the fear of a spread in the COVID. And as many of you guys have probably already heard and, and learned that, well, a lot of the figures that they gave us didn't actually come out the way they have come out. And, and as I said last week, if it really was, you know, as a pandemic as it was, I mean, you know, why do they have to fake the numbers? Why do they have to make things up? And so... In, in a sense, what they did is, you know, we're not standing, and this is what a lot of churches have been trying to do, which I didn't agree with either. And I never signed uh, anything according to oh, these, these other churches and wanted us to get behind this lawsuit against the government. We're not, you know, we're not into suing the government. We're not into suing anybody. As a matter of fact, we had an opportunity here not long ago to sue a company that kind of did us wrong, rightfully wrong, and they, they acknowledged it. And uh, what we did is we just talked to them as the Bible's dictated. Person was a believer, okay, so let's, we went up to them and we settled it. And it was good. It was beneficial for us. Uh, and so we could have went and probably got everything paid for, but we, we gave them grace. And so that was not our intent. That's never been our intent to go up against the government. Never has been. Um, we're not standing on a First Amendment right because Christ is the head of the church and he's also the Lord of all the nations. And so the nations that are here, they, have, they are allowed to be here because of Jesus Christ. He's the one that put them in the office. And so they are under his authority. And, and so I'm just summarizing what, what the statement said, and I, I totally agree with what he said. And I said, you know, this is something that I want to get behind. This is something that if I'm going to draw a line in the sand, this is where I'm going to draw the line at. Uh, a lot of places, a lot of churches have asked me to sign up and back them up for uh, this government-run church that they have going, I guess, and, and how to go up against them to sue them, and let's all get together, and I, I just couldn't get behind that. I mean, I've been asked to sign, uh, though I believe in a, that abortion is wrong, you know, sign this petition so we can all go up against the government, and that's just was not my line in the sand. This is. A um, couple of things are happening. First of all, as, and if you want this letter, if you haven't seen it yet, just hit me up and I'll email it to you, but, um, or you can find it on uh, gracechurch.org. And uh, he's basically said, you know, we are not trying to fight against our First Amendment right. We're, we're standing on the biblical principles that we're to gather. We're to gather. And we know, as we just sang, and we're going to find out here just a bit in Second Corinthians chapter 5, 
that one day we will receive a new body. One day we're going to receive a new home. We have God's guarantee by his Holy Spirit. One day we will be at home with Jesus. And, and my aim is to please him, not any government. My aim is to prepare for him, not anything that in this country, this world has for me. And so there are a lot of things that we can stand for, and this is one thing that we'll stand for, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. Uh, the, the line in the sand is going to do a couple of things. Number one, it's going to show who really is desired to follow what God's will has said, God's word has said. And they will, they will come together, and persecution will come. And it's interesting because throughout the whole world, we hear about persecution. Persecution is everywhere. The United States has really not been persecuted, the church, I should say, as a whole. And that's one of the things that kind of really, I wonder, why aren't we getting persecuted if we're really doing God's word, God's will? If we're really doing what God wants us to do, why aren't we being persecuted? Number one. Number two, not only is it going to persecute the church, but it's also going to purge the church. The church, depending upon who will follow and who will stand behind God's word, will continue to purge the church in such a way that it will make for a stronger body of believers. And throughout history, that's all that's ever happened to the church. Always has been persecuted and purged. Persecuted and purged. And I believe that we are coming up to a season. This might not do that persecution and purging as history has done to church, but it's the beginning. And as we've always said from the very beginning, we have been open, we've stayed open, we do the best we can by keeping everybody safe, we sanitize. As a matter of fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a second service. And uh, it's, it's a special service, it's a baby dedication. And uh, the only reason that we won't have them here is because it will be too many people. And it's a whole different family and everything else, but we'll have two services. The first service will be on Sunday morning, and then right in the afternoon, we'll have another service just for them. And uh, that's, that's what we're going to do, and I'll, I'll fill you in some more on that later. But we, we want to do the best we can as far as keeping safe, sanitized, cleansed, and, you know, spaced out. And, I mean, not that kind of spaced out, but spaced out, you know, six feet apart. And, and I, I want you to be safe. And if you need to wear a mask, wear a mask. It's okay. I mean, you can do that, you know, but feel free not to. Uh, we're not going to... Uh, infringe that upon you at this moment, uh, at this time. Now, what is the government going to say about that? Well, I don't know. This just all came down on Friday, and, uh, and it's now being disseminated throughout this weekend. So I'm asking you as a church, those of you that are watching online, to join us as often as you can. We're open. We're going to continue to stay open. And, uh, and if persecution and purging comes, then we'll just have to go with that as well. But you see, as I mentioned a little bit ago, what Paul is talking to us about this morning is exactly that. He's talking to us about why it is that we should endure. If you remember last week, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, we do not lose heart. I'm going to verse 16 in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we don't focus on the, the things that are transient, the things that are not going to last. We don't focus on those things. We focus on those things that are eternal. We focus on not the things that we can see, but we focus on the things that are not you're not able to see. And this is where the faith comes in that God has given you. There is this, this ability to be able to know and sense and realize because of God's word, the faith that God has given you to know that there's something greater out there, something bigger. Paul even says in Romans chapter 1 that everyone knows God's invisible qualities because they're on display. Everybody should know. Yet what they have done is they, they have they have changed, exchanged the truth for a lie, and instead of worshiping the Creator, they worship the creation. And, and so this is where we're at at this point in time. A few weeks ago, I said the reason we're in this spot is because of the, the way that they've taken the Bible out of school, out of government. There is no Ten Commandments up to show us our sinfulness. The Ten Commandments were never meant to save us. If we kept them, they were to show us how, de how despicable we were, how, how depraved we were, how sinful we are, and therefore causing us to turn to the Almighty God. 
And that sinfulness that the Ten Commandments show us and the commandments of God show us is what has been taken out of schools, out of homes, out of courts. And therefore, since I don't have to look at that, I can do whatever I want. And we are reaping. We are reaping what we have sowed in this world. I I wish I could tell you, man, that just blows me away. I can't believe that happened. But you see, I've read the book. (laughs) I know the end. (laughs) I know what happens at the end. I will rise when he calls my name, whether, uh, whether it's here while I'm waiting for him, because there's, we, we definitely want to be raptured, amen? We definitely want to wait for God to just take us out of here, you know, just, just take us out of here. You know, and, and the second choice would be, okay, then if I can't be raptured, and if I have to go through that pain of death, then I, I want to be lifted up, I want to be resurrected. And if that can't be, well, you know, God, I'll stay, I'll stay here, I'll, I'll stay here in the body, because it's more of a benefit to you. But my first choice, sorry folks, is get raptured, or, you know, just dying in, in, in sleep. That's it. But since I'm here, I will, in the presence of, in, in this body, I will continue to serve God and serve you as best I can. And this is what Paul is trying to get across here. And I'm going to read from chapter 5 to verses 1 and on. And he says this, For, for we know that if the tent that is in our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life." He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. Amen? So we are always of good courage. Say that with me. So we are always of good courage, in spite of what may be going on around us. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Father in heaven, I thank you for this word, timely message, at a time where we need it the most. Your word is always on time, whether we're reading the book of Psalms, whether we're reading Exodus, whatever we're reading, Father, your word is always on time. And I just thank you that you give us this message today, because I know that the fear of many people is holding them back from being all that you've called them to be. So Father, I pray that you take this word, you just bless it, and multiply it within our hearts, within our life, and cause us to walk by faith, to cause us to walk the walk, not just the talk. That if we say we have faith, then as James says, we need our deeds to be shown, because faith without deeds is totally dead. So thank you, Father, once again, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Number one, I can endure. I can get through this because I will receive a new body. I will receive a new body. The number one, well, I shouldn't say the number one, but one of the number one, one of the, I keep saying number one, okay, I'll just call it number one. The number one fear, universal fear of most people is the fear of dying. That's a universal fear no matter where you go, the United States, Wherever you go, people are afraid of dying. That's been the one thing that has held people back from pursuing any kind of activity, any kind of gain, any type, anything. And on top of that, people don't want to die, and they'll do whatever it takes to extend that life, to live forever. They, they'll build pyramids and be mummified and, and you know, given all kinds of coins to make sure that they have the passage for the next life. And, and, and it's been from the beginning of history when people expired. People would ask, what happened to them? And they came out with all kinds of ideas and all kinds of thoughts. And we have archaeological digs of people that have tried to continue on for all eternity on their own power. And the Bible tells us, and Paul is telling us, we're going to receive a new body. And then, which is good, because for the Greeks, the body was, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's matter. And they were Gnostic. They were thinking, you know, the best thing for a Gnostic was their wisdom. As long as I have all this wisdom, this celestial connection, if I, have, if I can get spiritually pure, and the more spiritually pure I can get, well, you know, forget the body. 
They would indulge it. That's why they had that saying, eat and sleep and drink and be happy. And eat and, eat and drink and be happy and, and just do whatever you can to your body. As a matter of fact, I think some of us have that same idea today. You're probably half Gnostic and half religious Christians, you know. But, but the body sh- is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And for, for them to think, you know, I don't want this body. I don't want this body in heaven. As a matter of fact, I want to get away from it. And Paul says, oh, no, you get a new body. You receive a new body. For we know, and this is very adamant to Paul, we know. Come on, I've taught you guys this. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul described this back in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. You remember when we went to 1 Corinthians, the resurrection? They were saying there is no such thing as a resurrection. And then Paul says, well, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus Christ didn't resurrect. And if he didn't resurrect, then you have no hope. You might as well live like animals because there's no hope for you. And what Paul was saying is that that we do have, he says, listen, behold, in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, he goes on to say, we will be the imperishable to the, the perishable to the imperishable. It's like a seed being planted in the ground. This is why I generally say in uh, funerals, I tell people, this is, you know, Christians aren't buried. They're planted. They're planted as an as a ugly, dried up, dead seed, and it flourishes. Not more ugly, dead seeds, but it flourishes and it grows beautiful plants or food or whatever the case may be, a huge tree. And, and, and that's what every Christian is. He's not buried, he's planted. And he's planted and he's changed. And Paul is equating this to the resurrection. You're not going to get your same old body. Thank God. Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) You're not going to get, but it's going to be the same body, but it's going to be glorified. You'll have the same body, but a glorified body. And some of you, you know, you're thinking, you know, at least I'll be handsome when I get there. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to look the same. (laughs) You're going to look the same. We will get to recognize you. Now, I don't know exactly how that works out, but I know that if I plant an orange seed, I will get an orange tree. I know that if I plant a, a lemon seed, I will get a lemon tree. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish until it's fully mature. And, and so what Paul is telling us is that you have this ability. And Paul says, you know, but I would rather stay here. I mean, I would rather go, but since I'm here, I would rather live for Christ. He says in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall, what, yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. The only reason I haven't passed away, died on a motorcycle crash. People tell me that all the time. Motorcycles are dangerous. Yeah? Well, you should stop riding, driving as crazy as you do so that it can be safer for me. The reason I haven't gone yet is because it is to your benefit. It is necessary on your account. The reason you're still here is because it is necessary on your loved one's account. The reason God hasn't taken you home yet is because you are necessary. Church is a necessary part of life. We need church. Yesterday, uh, Friday, as I was doing this funeral, the people says, you know, we don't have a pastor. Can you do our, you know, well, I'll do it. And they says, you know, my dad wasn't a, a church going guy. And I says, okay, well, I'll explain that. And I said, you know, you might think you may not eat church. I, can, I don't have to go to church. I can worship wherever. However, when something like this happens, you need a church. You need a pastor. I really wish I could tell you all about this man I don't even know. But I'm going to tell you about the man I do know. And I, pre- I proceeded to preach the gospel. It wasn't too well received. I don't know. But I always pray, Lord, don't let your word come back void. I can't say I got a handshake after I was done. But that's besides the point. The fact of the matter is, is you need a body. You cannot grow outside of the body. This telecommunication or this, this Facebook stream, it's, it's okay for a moment. But this is not how God intended us to live. You need a body. Everybody needs a body to grow. Paul goes on to say, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul longed for his glorified body not primarily because it would free him of the physical weaknesses like we do. 
we look at, we look at ourselves as, I can't wait to get out of this body. But Paul's desire was not that he was broken, which he was, that he was all messed up, which he was. I mean, his life, he looked a lot older, I'm sure, than his age really was. And he was just this beat up old man and tired and, and hunched over. They said he had a crooked nose and, and he was just not a very slightly, like, he wanted to get out of that body, but it wasn't because of the pain. And beloved, I pray that your same reason is the same. Paul says, I want to get out of this sinful body. I want to get away from this sin that just, uh, just seems to come at me from all sorts of ways. This is why the things that I want to do, I cannot do. And the things that I don't want to do, I continue doing. Who can save me? Get me out of this wretched mess that I am. That was Paul's desire. He says, I am a flesh sold in the bondage of sin in Romans 7, 14. Sin dwells in me, Paul says in Romans 7. Evil is present in me, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? And he longed to get out of this sinful state. You know what's the funny thing is? The funny thing is that I see a lot of believers that are very comfortable in sin. They're very comfortable not only in the sin of the world, but they're very comfortable in their own sin. And beloved, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be a time God's going to have to show you. He's going to have to show you something has to happen. Either you will be persecuted or you will be purged. And if you cannot stand up to the simple sin that's around us, and I say simple because you have the power of the Holy Spirit to stop you from falling into that sin or run. If people say, well, I fell. No, you didn't. You ran right into it. You're talking about you fell. It's like it didn't come at you from all someplace. You ran into it. You knew what you were doing. We have to get away from that sinful body. This was Paul's prayer. Paul says, so, you know, they asked him, so how are we going to be raised? And, and back in 1 Corinthians, he says, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some grain, or other grain. I can endure. You can endure because you will receive a new body. Number two, I will receive a new home. You'll receive a new home. In verses two and four, he says, for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. To be naked for Paul, what he was saying is, is that only a soul without a resurrection body is going to be It's basically just a soul. Here's, here's something that many people wonder, and I've been asked this before. And so when I die, do I go right away to heaven? I mean, is that where I go? Because that's what we say. Well, he's in heaven now, and he's there. But the Bible teaches that the body has to be buried. It has to decompose. It has to go into the dirt as we read in 1 Corinthians. And if you remember, that body is dead, it's worthless, and it's done. But what happens to me? Well, what happens to you is your spirit is with the Lord. And at the last trumpet, if you remember, the last trumpet, when the last trumpet sounds, and you have to differentiate, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, you have to differentiate between the last trumpet in Revelation, where all the bowls are being dispersed and, and all this havoc is going on from the last trumpet that Paul is talking about. And, and remember our study of the, that last trumpet, and, and it was a trumpet, a call, trumpet call during the wilderness when, when Moses would call the people, there would be one trumpet, and, and, and then all the people would rise up, a, a two loud blasts that would blast, and all the elders would come forward, and then the last trumpet was a, tr was a trumpet to charge. Everybody just moved in certain, uh, according to their tribes, and they all moved in, and there was this huge, huge mass of people, maybe a million, some people say even almost three million people. If you go by the genealogies of Exodus, there was close to 800,000 people. You got to count the, the wives, and this is only fighting age. You got to count the wives and the children. These were just the men. So there must have been at least two, maybe three million people in this tent, in this huge gathering of people, and there, there had to be a way to get them moving. And the last trumpet was a trumpet that says, okay, let's go. Boom, everybody takes off. That's the trumpet, I believe, that Paul is referring to. Not the one in Revelation, but the trumpet that most people in Jerusalem and the Jewish people understood. Oh yeah, we heard about that trumpet. We know that. And so the apostles' home of a future glorified body was 
perfect in his mind. Yeah, I, I want this glorified body. Not only am I, is it decrepit, not only is it broken, but I'll be free from sin. And then he says in Romans 8.23, and not only this, the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of the sons, the redemption of our bodies. From the very beginning, from the moment you're born, your spirit is calling out to God. God is calling out to your spirit. You're, you have this knowledge, this understanding that there is something greater than you. And those with their eyes veiled, those with their hearts hardened, cannot see the invisible God. You, on the other hand, can see him. If you have been chosen to see him, if God's opened up your eyes, if he's brought you back to life, you can see this God. And so you have this home that he's going to give you. You have this home that you can call your own. Number three, I have God's guarantee. I have God's guarantee. Verse 5, he says, Who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is a seal. The Holy Spirit is a deposit. This guarantee guarantees you entrance into the kingdom of God. He's placed it within your heart. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't even ask for it. As we, as we spoke last week, you are dead to your trespasses. You are dead to your sins. And, and when you're dead, there's nothing you, a dead person can do. God has to wake you up. And the moment he wakes you up, what he does is he picks you up like he did Adam, and he breathes his spirit within your life. And you have this Holy Spirit as a guarantee. You are his. And because he's given it to you, you cannot lose it. You cannot get rid of it. He is yours, and you are his. That's what the seal signifies. The seal signifies possession. Boom, he's mine. And protection. Boom, stay away from him. You cannot take him. He is mine. All that the Father calls to me, I shall never lose. Whoever is in the Father's hand, cannot, he cannot lose them. You will not be lost once you are sealed, once you have the guarantee, once you have the deposit. In the end time, prior to the end times, the, the rapture is going to take place. Jesus Christ is going to come down midway between heaven and earth. The trumpet will sound Everybody will line up. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us who are left behind will be caught up with him in the air. He never touches foot at that time. In the air. And we are taken with him. And that trumpet will sound to the Holy Spirit the call of let's go. It's time to march on. And that Holy Spirit is going to take every sealed, guaranteed, deposited saint to spend time with Jesus Christ for seven years in this time of tribulation. You think this is bad now. You ain't seen nothing yet. We have God's guarantee. He says in Romans chapter 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Not that all things are good, because there are a lot of things that aren't good, but they work together for good. Even the death of this young man, that I presided over this last week. Even the COVID, everything that is happening is going to work together for good. Not for everybody, not for everybody, but for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul goes on to say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, from the very beginning of the foundations of the earth, Paul tells us in Ephesians, you were chosen. You were called. He knew you. He knows your name. I know many of you think, well, I chose God. I, I, I'm the one that I raised my hand and came forward. Well, you have to remember that the sovereignty of God is, is really based on your understanding of your choosing or not. Because if God is in total control, which he is, amen? He's in total control. I mean, he knows everything, amen? I mean, he knows from the beginning from the end. And, and he can be anywhere at all times. We call those the omnis, omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscience. 
And, and, and he can do, he can know, he can see everything at all times. So somewhere along the line, after creation was done, God says, okay, Robert's going to be born again here. Uh, Mike's going to be born again there. Sal's going to be born again there. Somewhere along the line, he says, this is what's going to, Paul's going to be born over here. And so he knows. If God knows <laughs> every decision that's going to be made, which I trust that he does, how much of a choice did I really have? If he already knew it. Now, there's that argument that, well, there's that personal responsibility. Yes, there is. And, and, and the personal responsibility that comes with my uh, response to his call is intertwined in such a way that I wish, you know, and, and the theological term that I've learned over this study is, there's three of them. You might want to write this down. You know, how that happens, it, it happens like this. I don't know. <laughs> but it does. I, I'm not really... You know, it's like the Trinity. I can explain to you the Trinity. I can give you verses on the Trinity. But how does that really work? Well, well you know, it's, it's, he's, he's the God-man, the man-God, the, you know, the three-in-one. And, 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 but it teaches it in the Bible. This is why we have a lot of people that aren't very fond of the Trinity. Because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, the word predestination is. But the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And I says, well, that's true. Well, the word Bible is not in the Bible either. <laughs> so you'll throw that one out the window too? The, the point is this. The point is this. When God has chosen, predestined you, he set you apart. He placed you as one of the firstborn among the many brothers. And, and he called you to justify you, to glorify you. Your body will be glorified. And, and I don't know how it is that I, I have no idea why he chose me. I do not know. I mean, I look at my life. I see my life. I understand my life. I says, you know, God, why me? And he says, well, I, there was a special reason for that. There's a purpose for that. And, and there's a lot more to be said about that. And we will. We'll say some more about that here coming up much later. But the point I'm trying to make is that you're already glorified. The moment that you accept it and recognize and realize that God is your Lord, Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, you stepped into eternity. So you right now are living in eternity. Try to wrap your mind around that one. You right now are in eternity. And so everything that's happening from here until I see Jesus Christ is just, it doesn't matter because I'm already in eternity. All that's holding me back is this earthly body, this tent, this fleshly body. That's the thing that's holding me back. Number four, I will be at home with Jesus. Verses six and eight, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Of course. Many of you think, you know, I just can't wait to be with Jesus. But then all of a sudden you remember, what, am I, what about my kids? What about my grandkids? You know, I, I, I like, there's some things that, and it seems like there's this tension. And Paul says, you know, so we need to be of good courage. Because though we're home right now, here, this is not our home. Though this is where our body is, we're just passing through. We're passing through to a greater, bigger place, a home to be with Jesus Christ. And so therefore, you know, he's, we have to think about that one thing. And it's hard to see it because of all the pain, all the suffering that we're going through. And then all the pain and suffering that people will go through. But, you know, you, you really need to know, you need to understand that that's life. Like some pastor once said, you know, you live long enough, you'll die. It's just a certainty. I, you know, it's going to happen. Somebody once says, you really like talking about death a lot, don't you? I go, well, I don't want it to be morbid. I'm trying not to make it be morbid, but it's reality. It's what we each face, and we face it every day. And this COVID and these riots and these people and everybody that's passing away, it's, it's got people so scared, and they have people so afraid to even step out of their homes because of this dying. Well, not that I want to go out there and catch this thing on purpose or you know whatever the case may be, but I cannot be afraid. You cannot be afraid of dying. This is what Paul is saying. You're going to get a, a new body, a new home. You have God's guarantee. You'll be at home with Jesus. 
You'll be there with him. So we always, always of good courage. We need to stay always of good courage. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this, and, and, and I pray that this will be on my epitaph. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And those who love his appearing, those that are anticipating and waiting, are going to get this crown. And many people have said, you know, I, just let me hold the door open. That's all I want to be. I just want to get in by the skin of my teeth. Beloved, you don't understand that there is more for you than just that. There is more for you than just that. We'll talk about that here a little bit. But Paul is longing. He says, man, I just want to be in the presence of Jesus. I want to be there, as the psalmist says in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, the psalmist says, when shall I come and appear before God? And if you look at this verse in your Bibles, it has a little footnote on most Bibles. On the King James, uh, New King James and the ESV has this little footnote on it that says, uh, "When will I come and appear before God?" And this footnote says, "Or uh, and see the face of God." This is Paul's longing. I just want to be in His presence. I, I sense Him. I feel Him. I know His power, His Holy Spirit, what is done in my life. And so, therefore, I, I've got to walk by faith. Explains how every believer needs to walk, and, and we need to do this in fellowship and serve the invisible God in life with other like-minded individuals. This faith is not a wishful fantasy and vague hope. So, it is a confident assurance that these things are going to take place. They will take place. Be of good courage, he says. Be of good courage. So what am I to do? So what am I to do? Number one, I am to please him. That's what he says. So whether we at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Beloved, you can't know how to please him unless you're reading his word. You got to know his word. You got to get into his word. You got to dive into his word. You got to disseminate and, and, and look at his word. And, but you see, not, you can't only just not know it. You got to do it. You got to do it. Oh, that sounds pretty good, Pastor. That, oh, yeah, that made me feel convicted. Oh, yeah, I feel really bad now. I'm going to take off and continue on in my life. Yeah, you're right, Pastor. I'm a sinner. You know, that's, that's what I got to do. And we go back, and I'll come back next week so you can yell at me again. <laughs> as long as I feel bad, I guess I'm doing all right. But Paul says, you know, that we make it our own, being absent from the body. We make it our desire to please him. In Romans 14, he says in verses 7 and 8, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Whether you're here or there, you're God's. If you're here, you're God's. And if you're there, you're God's. And here in this body right now, I have to do whatever I can to follow what it is that he's called me to do. I just need to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey, to be full of grace and mercy. Caris, grace, is the word happy. Caris, grace, is to be full of his grace and understand that grace. He gave me something that I do not deserve. He gave me something that, that I couldn't work for. I couldn't pay for it. So I need to aim to please him. I, I need to aim to prepare for him as well. I've got to prepare for him. For we must all appear before the kingdom, uh, excuse me, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And the word evil there is kind of misleading. It's either good or bad in most translations, but either which way, because there's a lot of things that we do that we consider to be good. And you might think that by going to church and by helping somebody else and by doing those types of things are good. But Jesus, remember, uh, he, says, he says, well, who is good except for God? Paul says none of us are really good. We have ulterior motives for doing things. We have ulterior motives for helping. We have ulterior motives. Sometimes our hypocrisy gets in the way. Sometimes our legalism gets in the way. Sometimes the things that we do are Hope, we're hoping that God will credit it to our account so we can get into heaven. 
And sometimes we, we, we don't realize the things that are, that are driving us. But Paul's driving ambition was the knowledge that there will be a penetrating uncovering of the depths of his heart by Jesus Christ himself. Paul says, you know, one day I'm going to be up there and he's going to expose everything that I've ever said and done. And he's going to show me all the intentions of my heart. Know me and know my heart. Know my desires is what the psalmist would pray. Show me where it is that I'm failing, Lord. And many of us don't have the guts to pray that prayer. As a matter of fact, when people come up to us, you know, and, and, or, or you try to point it out to somebody else, even the world knows this verse, judge not lest you be judged. People tell me that all the time. Well, you shouldn't be judging. The Bible says judge not, or you're going to get judged, or something like that. I go, yeah, it does say that. You know where it says that at? Uh, in the Bible somewhere. It's, it's in there. I know it is. Everybody knows that verse. You think John 3.16 is famous? That's one of the most famous verses of all time. In Matthew chapter 7. You know, it's interesting because right after that, he's talking about, well, you know, you've got to be careful and watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. How are you going to do that without judging? You know, how, how am I going to do that? You've got to, you know, be careful for the, the bad fruit and the good fruit, the, the Pharisees, the hip, uh, hypocrites, false prophets. He says, you've got to, you got to evaluate. There's going to be a judgment. And you need a body. The body is essential. The body is essential for that accountability. And beloved, I know that many of you are at home and, and there's things that are going on that prevents you from being here, and we understand that, but you need a body. You need accountability. You need to be able to come to people and say, how can I improve? What can I do? What do you see in me that needs to change? Beloved, you need a, you need a body. We will all appear before that judgment seat. The judgment seat is the, um, it, it's called the Bema seat. The Bema seat, I know a lot of people have called it the Bema seat and hyper-spiritualized it very much, but, which it is, don't get me wrong. But it, it, its intended meaning was the, like, like the, the walk-up, like this. When an, when an athlete would win a medal, they would ask him to walk up the stairs and he would be evaluated by his performance. And he would be given either first, second, or third prize for his performance. Uh, th there was that Bema seat that even Pilate had that, that would rise up and they would do the judging there. And, and judging sometimes was according to what you did wrong, but a lot of times when the Bema seat was used, it was used for the things that you had accomplished to recognize you. So it was this stepped level that brought you up to a place of recognition. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Because, you see, you have to understand, you have to realize that our sins have been taken away already. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we'll see it a little bit later, that, um, oh boy. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our, our behalf so that the so we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And in Hebrews, He says, uh, Having offered one sacrifice for sins for all, sat down, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God. See, your sin has been taken care of. That judgment that's going to happen at the Bema seat, it's not that. If you're standing at the Bema seat, if you're standing there, your sin has been taken care of right there. On that cross, it has been dealt with, it's been done with, it's over, you have been made righteous, you have been justified just if I'd never sinned. You have been made holy, you're set apart, you're His. This process that we're going through in life, the sanctification process, oh, it's a hard process, it is. This is what Paul was dealing with. This is what Paul was saying, I want to get out of this body of sin because it keeps tearing me down. We're not perfect. We keep messing up. We keep coming back. And he keeps saying, okay, Miguel, let's do it again until you get it right. Let's do it again. And that's the judgment seat is the rewards. The reward that you will receive. So I not only need earn to, uh, will aim to please him, I need to prepare for that. Now, the good and the bad. The bad is, is not the stuff, of course, that is evil, that is real bad. But there's a lot of things that are going to be burnt off. A lot of things that aren't going to last. A lot of things that aren't going to, aren't going to hold on to uh, what, what you and stay with you when you get up into heaven. 
You know, there's a lot of things that you do that, that don't honor God or glorify God, and they're not necessarily bad things. Like, for instance, going for a walk or going out to dinner with your wife. You know, those are good things, unless they glorify God somehow. You know, working your way up the corporate ladder to, to make more income. And, and how that glorify God, glorifies God, only you would know. There are things that you're going to try to bring up, and God's going to say, that, you know, what did you do while you were there? Did you honor me with the, the income that you received? Did you honor me with your influence that you had? Did you honor me? Those are the things that God is going to bring on and expose your intentions. A lot of people have this idea that, that the angels are going to be watching, that they're going to put up this, okay, give me the DVD from Sal. Sal's DVD? Oh, is it, what, that's a trilogy? Okay, well, bring it. You know, it's just a three-part series, you know, and, and he puts it in, and everybody's going to be watching. All the angels are going to be watching. Or worse yet, everybody else is going to be watching. No, or worse yet, it's good, they're going to show God. God, here's what he did. God already knows. And there's nothing scriptural to substantiate the other two, where everybody will be watching or the angels will be watching. This is specifically for you. That's scary. That, if, not, if that doesn't cause you to shudder, if that doesn't cause you to pause and think about, you know, okay, uh, that's just for me, yeah. You know, you can't hide behind the laughter of all the funny things, stupid things you did. Yeah, okay, that was funny. Yeah, okay, next... Is just you and God. And God already knows. Beloved, you need to please to aim him. Uh, excuse me, aim to please him. And you need to prepare for that day. How do I prepare? Well, being here for one. Hold, being held accountable for two. Know God's word. Do what it says. You know, there's things that you have to accomplish on this planet that God has given you to do. Well, I thought you said... It's salvation is by faith and not by works. Well, you got to remember that Paul was talking to new believers. You said, I didn't have to work for it. I didn't, well, no, not your salvation. See, James talks about it a little bit later. He's talking to the church. The brother Jesus, he's talking to the church. He's saying, look, you say you have faith, the faith that Paul said you had? Show me. He was from Missouri or Michigan, the show me state. <laughs> show me. <laughs> Missouri, I was right the first time, wasn't I? I'm glad I didn't say Texas. Uh, he says, show me. You have faith, I have deeds. Faith without deeds is dead. You got to do something with that, what God gave you. You know, we have been blessed beyond measure as a church. We were able to keep the doors open. Everything's been remodeled re everything we've we've gotten we've been blessed to be able to put that amphitheater out. i don't know if you noticed but it's done at least now to to be able to do the landscaping and we're going to put up a wrought iron fence to to you know just kind of keep the property in, intact we're, we're even doing a new parking lot we're going to put i mean we've been blessed beyond measure but beloved this is not about parking lots and fences and landscaping and windows it's not about that that's, this is not what we're all about. We are about ministering and teaching and lifting up and educating and building up the body of Jesus Christ. It is important for you to be here. It is important for you to understand that you're going to get a new body. You cannot change the date that God has already appointed for you. You cannot change the time. All you can do is control the circumstances on what's gonna, how it's going to happen, when, when it's going to happen. You control, you control that circumstance. And I pray, beloved, that you are in the circumstances of God in honoring Him, in preparing for Him, in pleasing Him. Because that's what it's all about. So I, I want to be able to invest as minimal as possible on the property and start investing heavily in the ministry. And whatever it takes to invest. Because otherwise, we'll, we'll just close it up. And, you know, we got a pretty building. That's great. Now what? We're, we're thinking future here. We're thinking there's things that need to be done that we'll take care of. But yet, it's all about ministry. And, beloved, we need your help. You need to be here. Paul concludes this section. And it's interesting because, really, the next section, verse 11 he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope 
it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. And as we continue on in chapter 5, Paul says, you know, we got to get the message out. It's not about what we're doing here. It's about what we got going on out there. And that's where you come in. That's where you come in. Every person from the sound of my voice, that's where you come in. And I pray for the boldness that God is going to give you to just speak the truth. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't need to be a scholar. All you need to know is the truth of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to stand. You'll only be rewarded for deeds with motives that please and glorify God. And so as Paul was longing for heaven, it didn't cause him to act irresponsibly or unfaithfully here on earth. What it did for him, it did just the opposite. I confess, I've acted irresponsibly and unfaithfully. And I pray that you can confess that as well, that we make that turn, make that change, and do everything for the glory of God. Father in heaven, I thank you once again. And Paul has been right on every step of the way. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, let it all glorify God. And I pray that we can do that in the very basic and simplest possible way to the most complex of our life. Lord, we know that we have a, a new home, a new body. We know we have a guarantee and a, and a place with, with you. So help us to continue to please you in what your word says and how to apply it and put it into practice as we prepare to meet with you. So, Father, thank you once again for this time that you give us as a church, as a body of believers, as those who have come to love you and know you. So, Lord, we just pray that you continue to lead us even after we depart from here as we go to our, our homes and, and wherever we may be going. That you continue to guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Let me give you our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen? You are dismissed.